He was a morbidly obese surgeon destined for an operating table and an early death. Now he's a rebel MD who is fabulously fit and fighting to make America healthy again. This is Stay Off My Operating Table with Dr. Philip Ovedia. Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 26 of the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. Our host and founder is Dr. Philip Ovedia there in the fancy blue shirt with his name on the on the chest. I'm uh, your co-host, Jack Yield, with no name on mine. Phil, you need to send me a shirt, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we need to get you some of the swag. <laughs> and our guest today... Um, is someone I'm really looking forward to hearing from, Shafali Ravula, who calls herself, let me get this right, the, no, I'm not going to get it right, <laughs> nutritionist, help, help me out, Shafali. You um, know, I'm kind of. It's, it's this cross between two disciplines that I found really interesting. Right. In fact, I had to create a Venn diagram to really explain who I was and what we do. It was like a little center point of all kinds of different medical philosophies. Um, I'm a culinary educator and a physician assistant and a nutrition educator. So it's kind of... uh, Okay. So we've got culinary expertise, physician's assistant, and nutrition. There was a fourth circle on that Venn diagram. Mm. I I remember that too. Sorry, I don't mean to put you on the spot there. That's oh, okay. no. Well, I, you know, I, I I would say that's about it. I love gut health, metabolic health, and culinary medicine. You know, I put them all together. <laughs> Very good. Well, Phil, um, I think I know why you invited Shafali, but. Exactly. I think it. you uh, covered it pretty well. So I was uh, fortunate to uh, being introduced to uh, Shafali mm-hmm. by a uh, mutual uh, friend of ours in the uh, healthcare world. And, you know, her background as a physician assistant, as a, uh, you know, clinical practitioner um, that she has now combined with her uh, interest in nutrition, interest in cooking, um, is really uh, caught my interest. And uh, uh, I think one of the phrases that I think that I first saw from her was culinary medicine. And uh, I really love that. It really, of course, goes along with what we talk about um, every week here on the podcast. And so I, I'm looking forward to digging into that with that, with her. Uh, so Shafali, please uh, go a little bit more into our back into your background. Tell us how you got to where you are today um, and how all of those aspects of your life have come together. Yeah, for sure. Do we have two hours? Because I feel like I'm really old. (laughs) (laughs) And it's taken me a while to get where I'm at, where I'm bringing everything full circle. But I'll try to keep it short and you can interrupt me as you'd like. So I, you know, straight out of undergrad, went straight to PA school and did a little oncology for a while, a lot of inpatient on-call care in Seattle, and then moved to Austin with my husband uh, for good and been here for a long, long time now and worked in conventional medicine, you know, outpatient gastroenterology. And uh, somewhere along that way, my dad had a heart attack and he survived. In fact, he's survived twice. So, you know, he's not listening to me because he's had one twice now, but (laughs) he was, you know, uh, I I was, this is back in the days when you had a pager. So I was paged on call uh, and I had to fly down to Houston to see him. And uh, he's a thin vegetarian man. 
And I was completely perplexed, um, you know, coming out of PA school, you don't learn anything about nutrition. And I thought, oh, this is a vegetarian thin man who's had a heart attack. And honestly, that's what kickstarted me into a lot of self-study in uh, cardiology, lipidology, and then certainly nutrition for cardio- cardiometabolic disease. Lipidology? So yeah, I kind of have a fascination well, with what is what is that? Oh, you got to remember, I'm the I'm the designated dummy here. So, <laughs> well, Doctor Ovadia can definitely explain better than me. But yeah, I, I I'm jumping around here. But at my most recent position in conventional medicine, it was in a urology practice, and what I did there was not urology. I was hired to do. Of really nutrition and functional medicine, I was hired to replace a registered dietitian. And so when I came on and I, uh, I, I saw these patients that had low testosterone and metabolic syndrome, and I was guiding them uh, with the nutrition protocol, really, I became pretty well versed in reading lipids and understanding uh, advanced lipid panels and um, just really understanding the physiology in that. So I'm no, you know, I'm not an NLA certified lipidologist by any means, but I became good friends with them and learned okay. a lot. In the last I'm year. going to stop you, Shafali. I'll jump in. Yep. Hold on. What is lipidology? Oh, I didn't answer the question. Yes. <laughs> Go for it, Dr. Ovidia. Well, I was going to jump in and just say that lipidology is a, uh, you know, newer branch of uh, medicine, uh, of cardiology, typically, uh, you know, that uh, heart specialist uh, that focuses on, um, you know, cholesterol levels and the the types of cholesterol and the amount of cholesterol that we have. And um, it sounds all great and it sounds all fancy, uh, but most lipidologists um, look at some numbers and then tell people that they should lower their cholesterol level. And that's what it comes down to. So, um, and uh, I'm sure I've, I've just, uh, pissed off a bunch of lipidologists out there, but this isn't the first time and it certainly won't be the last. <laughs> and yeah, it's just one little piece of really what ultimately I found to be more uh, impactful is metabolic health and understanding underlying cardiometabolic disease, which is why I'm here with you guys, because that's really fundamentally what I think it needs to change. Um, so I'm going to back up a little bit. So I, um, so my, yes, my father had this heart attack and I, I just became completely immersed in really nutrition for cardiac health, if you will. And it was mostly all self-taught, lots of conferences, lots of integrative medicine, functional medicine, this, that, culinary medicine conferences. I just did it all and um, came to, uh, you know, I, I then uh, decided to quit my job in conventional medicine and raise my kids. And when I raised, decided to raise my kids, um, I was like, you know, I'm going to become a cooking instructor and I'm going to teach people how to, how to cook and eat. And this was off, obviously because of the GI patients I saw, but mostly because of my dad and the family history. And um, I started teaching Indian cooking classes and did that for years. And then I realized one day, I don't eat Indian food every day. And the Indian food that I grew up with is completely unhealthy. And it's just particularly my region. Now that doesn't mean all Indian food is unhealthy, but my regional Indian food where I grew up was very, not only Westernized, but even in India in the region is not quite the healthiest. And so would you, would you real quick, just give us the headlines on what that style of eating or what those foods are? Sure. So it's from the West in the state of Gujarat, um, 
which is predominantly vegetarian. Now, rurally, they're eating certainly better than in the bigger cities, meaning uh, from the farms, lots of whole grains and legumes, lots of dairy, because that's how they got their protein. Um, but really, it, it changed, you know, it changed over time over westernization. So um, what I grew up in the US with, I was born and raised here, was a you know, a westernized version of Gujarati food, which was basically three quarters of my plate was carbs. And maybe, you know, I don't know, an eighth or a fourth of it was vegetables that were soaked in seed oils. Mm, Okay. (laughs) Our favorite, right? Pro-inflammatory seed oils, simple carbs, uh, white rice, and really watered down lentil curry. Um, I grew up in a vegetarian household and all my family in India all you know, 140 of them to count are strict vegetarians. Uh, I am not, and I haven't been for many years. Um, So that's Gujarati food. Now there's a lot of other regions. My husband is from South India, uh, one region there. That's a different type of food. So really the macros do change a little bit. Um, The spices change a little bit, not yeah, they vary too. So, and then the grain component does change the South or, kind of more known for rice and the North and West are a little bit more known for, um, flat wheat, you know, uh, and okay. other things. Yeah. All right. really. So hopefully that Thanks. helps. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I stopped, te- I stopped teaching Indian cooking classes and I moved to food as medicine cooking classes, more of what we were eating at home. So, you know, more, uh, just unprocessed whole foods, all kinds, all cultures. Cause that's a passion of mine. And I'm a, I'm a foodie first, I think. I'm a foodie before being a chef or cook instructor. And I think taste is so important and flavor is so important. And I think if we don't master that, we lose a lot of people in in patient care. I I mean, it's just important. Phil, do you mind if I I ask her a question about food real quick? And this is not metabolic health. (laughs) I I am definitely a foodie. and I, I, I'd like to hear your experience with teaching people how to, I think you said master flavors or master taste. Can you just, you know, two minutes real quick, what, yeah. what the challenges are and, and, and how you're succeeding? Cause my well, gosh, folks, think, there's great food that is available to us. Yeah. And I think if you start thinking outside American food and you start playing around and experimenting with spices around the world, condiments are key. Any kind of condiment. So sauces, uh, dressings, vinaigrettes, whatever you name it. If you can get a handle on that and really pack in the flavor and the, you know, whether it's bitter, savory, spicy, pungent, um, you can carry your vehicle, the healthy, the, the, the food that's giving you the nutrition a long way, right? So oh, I think that's I like key. It. Yeah, I think condiments are key. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting uh, that here in the United States, sugar has become the predominant flavor. Um, yeah. There was a, uh, and I forget where I was listening to this conversation or involved in the conversation of uh, someone talking about um, they were, you know, European and they were bringing a product into the American food market. And basically they were told that you have to add more sugar. 
because Americans at this point have gotten to a point where all we can taste is sugar, essentially. Mm. That's absolutely um, right. Yeah. And, uh-huh. you know, I'm, I would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, what I have seen in myself, uh, what I've seen in many of my patients is when you take the sugar away, then they can actually start tasting good food again. Yeah. I mean, and also the other preservatives and chemicals too, that, and, and, and the pure, the food we can get, the more people are going to actually enjoy it and discover it. I mean, you know, for example, Brussels sprouts right now are a big thing or have become a big thing. I think, uh, you know, in Austin, we have a very famous restaurant named Uchiko that uh, started the whole um, Brussels sprouts craze and they flash fry them and, you know, shred them and flash fry them and have this amazing, um, you know, sauce. And now you see them everywhere. But um, if you don't understand and learn how to prepare them and they don't have to be that complicated, um, but if they're, if they're pure, as pure as possible, and then you dress them with something lightly or heavily, you can appreciate the real uh, flavor. Like I said, I think the, the Brussels sprouts are a vehicle for flavor. Um, now, the Brussels sprouts themselves are flavorful too, but they could be a little bit more of an acquired taste if you're going to eat them you know, plain or whatnot. Um, so yeah, I think sugar, I mean, Dorito, even chips, you know, I think... <laughs> Now you can, you and I can detect the sugar on the chip, but growing up, I, I would not have known, you know. Yeah, we definitely build up that tolerance and then you end up needing more and more of it. Um, I want to step mm-hmm. back for a minute though, because, you know, you said you were, you know, traditionally trained physician assistant in the traditional healthcare world and your dad has a heart attack and you thought about the food that he ate. Um, whereas the traditional healthcare world, you know, we think about, well, you know, his cholesterol was too high. He wasn't taking this medication. Um, and, uh, you know, we don't think about the food that people are eating that leads to them getting these health problems. So what do you think led you there? I just was perplexed about his body, um, uh, his phenotype, like he was thin and tall, and then on top of that, vegetarian. So I'm like, here's a guy with no obesity, um, <laughs> with a, a clean lipid panel, actually. Well, LDL, because that's what I was taught, right? LDL and total cholesterol. And But then lo and behold, his triglycerides were sky high and nobody had told him and his HDL was super low and nobody had told him. And if they did, he didn't listen. So who knows? But, you know, I, I went, I didn't. I just couldn't believe that um, this is when nobody knew about Tofi, right? So thin on the outside, fat on the inside. No one really understood that. No one understood visceral adiposity. Oh, oh I, I just, okay. <laughs> tofi. Not tofu, Tofi. To- tofi, thin on the outside, fat on the inside. Yeah. I've never heard that before. Yeah, we have a lot of those in the Indian population. Mm-hmm. And, and not only Indian, but we do have a lot of thin Indians with bellies with visceral adiposity who are metabolically completely unfit and they have no idea because they're thin. That's what, that was my dad. That was my dad. Okay. Yeah. I'm learning a lot here. Okay. This is great. Yeah. (laughs) So how do you find, uh, now that it resonates with people, uh, when you come at them, uh, I guess for, you know, 
from a health perspective, um, but centered on food. Um, do you find that that message is uh, well received? I think so. I think people feel empowered. You know, they they don't have a lot of control over their, um, you know, when they go get their physical. I think they're or or in a conventional practice, they might be told a lot of things, but no one no one really is talking about diet, but the first thing people ask is, well, what can I do? This happened in conventional GI, by the way, I, I didn't finish the story of where I ended up, but I yeah. <laughs> continued We've been interrupting you. <laughs> I continued teaching the food medicine classes. I joined up with a local, uh, integrative physician. We did classes together. Um, and then I went back to GI because I thought, Oh my God, I'm going to bring this to GI. I'm going to teach people with fatty liver, how to eat. I'm going to teach people with IBS that they don't need an antispasmodic. I'm going to get them off their PPIs, blah, blah, blah. Well, that was really hard. There were, it was hard to, it wasn't that the patients necessarily weren't ready. It was the system that wasn't ready to receive me. Um, I was alone. And so um, it's just very, it's this, you know, you guys know the system. It's, it's we, we hear doctors every yeah, week. Say yeah. This, yeah. It's, you know it, it's you know. fascinating. So I, I left, uh, well, the pandemic hit and it just happened to work out and I left and then I went to uh, conventional urology to do the nutrition, which is what I really wanted to do. That was my, that was what I love to do. And now, um, this year I, um, decided to, um, began a practice and it is um, not an insurance model. I think I did a lot of good in insurance, but it was really, it was very hard. And um, the patients are a different population. It's, it's there. Some of them are not ready to hear it. So to answer your question, Dr. Ovedia, some in a conventional medicine practice, I think it's one out of five or maybe two out of 10 patients that are ready to hear it what I have to tell them, you know, like, and also ready to act on it. So if they're not coming to me, um, it's a few more steps, you know what I mean? So it takes, sure. it takes a few messages. It's like your email inbox, a drip campaign. You got to keep sending the messages, keep sending the messages until, Oh, it clicks. Okay. This is really what I have to do. Yeah. Uh, so the question occurs to me, are the people who come to you, do we refer to them as patients or as clients or as customers? What's the terminology? The reason for that is there's a follow-up question. Yeah, great question. Well, uh, I absolutely wanted to do the right thing legally, so I am operating under my license. Um, there are perhaps people in my field of what – my field. I don't, I don't really know what my field is other than it's a combination of – functional nutrition and medicine and uh, even precision medicine and lifestyle medicine. It's kind of like, that's where that Venn diagram came out. Um, but operate as coaches, you know, outside of outside right. of the licenses. Um, I got the advice of several attorneys and it was suggested that I not do that. So I call them patients. All right. So what's the profile of the typical patient for your practice? Yeah, they're very different from, like I said, the conventional practice. Um, they're already motivated, first of all. They motivated are to do what? To increase longevity, to act on preventative medicine, to take 
charge first and foremost with food and nutrition, because that's probably the focus of my practice anyway, food and nutrition. Um, so they come to me because they're so confused about what to eat. So I like to tell people, you know, my sort of sort of motto is that I help solve nutrition ambiguity, um, for cardiometabolic and gut health. Okay. As a marketer, Mm -hmm. I I think I understand what you're saying, but, but unpack that new, that statement, nutritional ambiguity. Well, I if need, I landed I need on your web page and saw that, I'd go. I have no idea what what this is. What okay. What do you mean? Solve nutritional ambiguity. Got it. Okay, so now I need to hire you because obviously I need to change that <laughs> phrase. <laughs> um, I think that, so. I have a questionnaire that I used for the last three years for any new patient that was going to see me, and it was a list of you know fifteen questions related to their f- food habits and their food relationship and. Uh, and I would say mark the top two things that most distress you about your diet or nutrition. And the top number one always is, I am so confused about what to eat. It wasn't really, yeah, it wasn't wasn't money. It wasn't stress. It wasn't being too busy that the number one was I'm confused about what to eat. So that's why I feel like I help personalize that approach for people because not everybody needs keto. Not everybody needs modified keto. Not everybody needs paleo. Not everybody needs to follow their macros. Not everybody needs to lose weight. Not everybody wants to gain weight, etc. And some people need more energy. Some people need a mitochondrial food plant. Like the sky, I mean, it's endless. Sure. Right? Okay. That's good. So if you're listening and you're one of those people who's thinking, I just don't know what to eat, then Shafali is who you want to talk to. That's right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you got okay. it. And, I, and you're going to take it farther than that. It's not just going to be what to eat, but how to make it delicious. Right. So part of the membership practice includes access to weekly cooking classes. That's the Food is Medicine Academy that I teach. Because oh. um, I just taught a class. Um, and they're virtual. The whole practice is telehealth. So I can see anybody all over um, Texas. And um, But the academy itself is actually open internationally. So anybody can do that. And you just come in once a week and you can watch anything recorded. You can ask questions. You can get it personalized in the sense of, you know, if you're somebody that, Hey, I, I need low FODMAP snack ideas or. Okay. I'm going to stop you right there. I was just listening to one of our previous podcasts. Dr. William Davis used the word FODMAP six times, probably. <laughs> what is a FODMAP? it's not any one thing. It's like five categories of types of uh, saccharides and sugar uh, compounds that affect some people that might, that have been usually diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome. Um, And so conventional gastroenterologists often will put people on a low FODMAP diet to help. Okay. So FODMAP is a category of food. Yeah. What Um, things fall inside that category? Give me a couple of of examples. Garlic, onion, spring onions, certain fruits, certain vegetables. Thank you. Yeah. It's actually quite complicated and (laughs) hard for people to take a FODMAP list to the grocery store because it's not like it's all fruits and all vegetables. It's very specific ones. I, I just have heard that word so many times in the last two months. And every time I hear it, I think I should look that up. And then I don't. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but 
we have non-medical professionals like me who listen to these things <laughs> and they're probably thinking, thank you, Jack, for asking what a FODMAP is. Yes. Okay. So yeah, people so, can ask about things like that and we'll try to put it in the docket. Yeah. So how do you know? I mean, I, I assume there's a, obviously there's a questionnaire. Um, is literally just answers to questionnaires. Does that point you in the foods they need and don't need? Or is there more to it than that? So if you're talking about in the actual practice as a patient, yes, it's a whole, you know, many visits and sure. diagnostics and a full, you know, metabolic ev evaluation that includes good blood work, you know, obviously insurance covered comprehensive blood work, but going above that a little bit, um, getting markers and looking for more optimal ranges is what I like to do. I'm a little bit more preventative, but to answer your question earlier about who's coming to see me, it's the ones that are already kind of doing the right things and they're confused right now in my practice. So some people like, I, I think I'm, you know, why am I not losing weight? I'm eating, I'm not eating out at all. I don't have any sodas. And so we kind of, I help them there. I don't have a okay, lot of people so that are on the so standard American diet. All right. You've just identified somebody who's already there. They have made the decision. I need to get a hold of my health. They've made the, the come to the conclusion that the best thing they can do is eat right. And so they start doing what they think eating right is based on whatever they they've been taught. And then they've, then they hit a wall or just aren't seeing the results that they want to see. And that's where you come in. That's right. Yeah. I'm not seeing the reason. I'm doing it. What I think is right. It's not working. Right. Help me. Right. And it could be related to weight or a lot of the times, maybe even the majority of the time, honestly, it's not about weight. It's more about, you know, get me off my medication or mm -hmm. I don't want to take a statin, even though my doctor really wants me to, which that's mm -hmm. a whole nother topic. I, I absolutely work with people like cardiologists, gastroenterologists, et cetera. I am not going to replace that you know, person by any means. Um, people that have low energy, can't sleep. Uh, so you know, they're fatigued all the time or they have gut health, d digestive issues that aren't, aren't getting, they're not getting answers they want from the gastroenterologist. So. Okay. So what, um, what kind of interactions do you have uh, now um, with the, we'll call it traditional healthcare system and, uh, you know, how do those interactions go? I imagine you still uh, kind of, you know, at least talk with a lot of the doctors that you used to work with. And uh, I'm sure your patients, you know, obviously they're seeing other physicians uh, and other practitioners. Uh, talk a little bit about what your interaction is with the healthcare system these days. Oh, I love that question. They're very receptive. I've I've been here for a long time. I know a lot of the community here. Um, I think they've seen me evolve and they know they've heard me speak. I'm not a extremist in any kind of food realm. And I'm also, I also know my scope of practice. So I'm not going to, like, I, I feel like I'm, I don't want to, and I don't lose the trust of any other practitioners because I'm still in that clinical space and had been off and on for the last 20 years. Like, within my scope of practice, if that makes sense. So 
um, they're very receptive. They're sending me uh, patients. Um, you know, I've, I've had a cardiologist, I've had cardiologists send me people. I've had GI, um, I've had some fitness trainers send me people. Um, so they, they're, they're very, very interested in this approach. And I think I love the field of registered dietitians and clinical nurse, uh, sorry, clinical nutrition specialists. And I often envy the fact that I don't have those letters behind my name, but I do think people are maybe sending them to me because I have that medical background and I algorithmically can perhaps understand a diagnosis and know when to refer out. So, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think that was a great answer. You know, I, I, uh, as much as, um, you know, I recognize the shortcomings of the healthcare system. Um, I think that more and more individual practitioners, individual doctors are waking up to this fact that, you know, what we eat is a major impact on our health. And we need to start addressing that if we're going to meaningfully change people's health. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, if you have a large gastrology group or oncology group that doesn't have a dietitian on staff, well, then it is going to be up to the practitioners, the PAs, NPs, MDs to answer those questions from the patients that ask, um, what can I do about my fatty liver? You mean I can't do anything, you know, or am I supposed to be constipated my whole life? Is there anything I can eat for it? Um, you know, we, so we've kind of been kind of encouraged into having that role, you know, so glad that you see that and appreciate that. So what is, uh, you are left as queen for a day. Mm. The entire country is required to sit down and listen to you. What is, what's the, the one or two things that you're going to say, start eating or stop eating. And and I'm asking this question because there's people who are, are going to want to get started here, but we got to keep it small and simple, small baby steps. If you're doing this, stop it. Or if you're doing that, if you're not doing that, start it. So everybody's listening to Shafala. What's the one or two things you'd say? That is so hard. Um, can the queen, uh, <laughs> can the, can the queen have a, have an impact on like the farming industry and stuff like that? Or does, is this more? You're like, the queen. You're okay. the queen. Okay. Oh, you God. are the sovereign. Your word <laughs> is the law. Um, the queen should give everybody land and good soil and teach the, teach everybody how to garden and farm and raise animals or whatever it is that is from the earth that we need to eat. Okay. That's, that's kind of too vague. If you're one, we want more. It's, it's, it's big, but, but I'll go smaller. I'll so, go smaller. so how do we get there? You know, I'm, I'm your average person who's thinking about, gosh, I wish Shafali was in Iowa where I could, where she could be, we could have a doctor patient or a patient where I could be your patient, but I'm not. Mm -hmm. So what do I do? Is there one thing I need to do that I'm not doing or one thing I should stop doing? Okay. That's, that's fairly common across the culture. 
Yeah. So I would say cut out pro-inflammatory foods. So seed oils, uh, processed foods, cut out. It's hard to say cut. I don't want to say cut out carbs because that you need some carbs, generally speaking. But um, since the majority of the United States and maybe the world, I'm not sure, but I know about the United States is metabolically unfit and has some degree of metabolic inflexibility, that's probably a wise approach is to reduce uh, simple carbs and reduce pro-inflammatory oils, sugar, things like that. I, okay. I didn't take one so, thing, did I? No, that's okay. You're the queen. Um, and, I, and I think we've kept it simple. So you're sitting here listening to this and uh, the queen has said, cut out pro-inflammatory oils and sugar and simple carbs. Queen, what are the biggest examples of those three? Well, that I, that I need to take out of my kitchen. Yeah, so commercial vegetable oil, commercial canola oil. Um, but I thought canola oil was good for you, right? So <laughs> it is chemically processed. It's been stripped of anything nutritious if it had anything in the first place. This is why we look for expeller pressed or man, you know, manually pressed. If you are going to have, for example, olive oil, I think olive oil is great, but if you're going to do that, you want it expeller pressed. You want it unfiltered. Uh, you, you do want it organic. You want it, everything as local as possible. Local's hard, but the other things are not that hard depending on if you're living in a food desert. So we can replace seed oils with olive oil. Oh, I don't do blanket terms. I can't say that. <laughs> okay. Well, we're, we're trying can't. to make it simple for folks to take that first yeah. baby step. Sure, sure. So I would say um, the way to cut those out is simply by reducing the processed food because you're getting a lot of that in processed food. So if you cut out the processed food you know, by a good chunk, you'll be cutting out a good chunk of those pro-inflammatory oils. And then maybe you can cook with it at home because you're cooking at home. So you've replaced eating out or processed foods with cooking at home. And then it's a little bit okay because you've, cut, you've done the math and you've cut it by like, what, two thirds maybe. Thank you, sense? Your Majesty. I yeah. appreciate it. No, so now, is there one thing, one food I should start eating or one category or something? Help, help me out here. I'm, I just want one more small step to get better. I think protein, most of us are deficient in protein. If we're going big, like a big topic, macros, protein, I think a lot of people are deficient. I think when women and men you know, get to get older, like 50s, et cetera, your, your testosterone is going down. You're, um, you're in men perimenopause. You need to maintain protein intake to continue to not have issues with sarcopenia. And I'll just, you know, just describe that that is loss of muscle mass, which is a big problem. And if you are looking at longevity and wanting to live long and be able to bend down to pick up something when you're 75 or, you know, have a, have a bath or a shower standing up without worrying about falling, oh, yeah. you better work on your bone health and your muscle mass. No, that's two really actionable things that someone can do, Phil. Yeah. Cut out the processed food, increase the protein. Exactly. Eat whole real food, as we uh, say so often here. Um, talk a little bit more about the power, though, of people learning to 
cook, people learning to make their own food and, you know, going beyond um, what a lot of people think of as cooking, which is taking a package out of the refrigerator or the freezer and putting it in the, you know, oven or the the microwave microwave (laughs) and calling that cooking. Yeah, exactly. I think time is such a, people are so worried about time. So, uh, because it takes time, it, it 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you can make a good meal in 20, 30 minutes, but it does, that's still time and you're starving. So you've got to, if you're, if you got a nine to five job and you're coming home, you're going to come home hungry if you haven't eaten a great solid lunch. So I, I just can't emphasize enough that you can't come home hungry and crank hungry. You're going to be cranky because you had a long day or whatever, but you can't also be hungry because if you're cranky and hungry, you're going to want your beer and you're going to want your fast food or whatever, you know? So try to eat nutritionally midday and maybe even a, a good little snack in the middle, you know, late afternoon. So that when you come home, you have a little time and you're not starving and maybe you've had some brain food, you know, with almonds or whatever, at 4 p.m. so that when you come home, you have 30 minutes and you make time to cook. Um, I will say, I, again, cooking classes empower people and it's it's gotten much more streamlined now because of the pandemic and everything's virtual. You can take cheap cooking classes. I mean, my, my program is cheap. It's like $37 a month right now for a bunch of pre-recorded classes and live classes and recipes and knife skills, et cetera. And it's not just me. It's a, it's a lot of people out there. So start a program, learn to cook, watch Food Network. I don't care. That's how I learned. Um, I didn't go to culinary school. I learned a funny story. I just spent literally, I would ha- I had a job where I had one month off every five months. Great job. Um, my first job out of school. So for the one month, what did I do? I spent <laughs> every waking hour watching Food Network and then spent the next you know three hours, four hours cooking every day. That's how I learned. <laughs> That's pretty cool. It was, it, I, I feel blessed. Yeah. <laughs> I also learned from my mom growing up. So. And what about that connection, um, you know, with our food? I think, you know, we have become so disconnected uh, from our food. You know, you just go to the supermarket and you buy some, you know, food or as we like to call it uh, here on this podcast, near food objects um, <laughs> is a lot of what we end up buying. Um, but, you know, n- for the most part, people don't know where their food comes from. Um, they don't know the process that that food went through to get to them. Um, and I think that that is a large part of, you know, what has gone wrong with our health is that we don't think of food as something to fuel our bodies anymore. We just think of it as this other, you know, just, it's just something we need to consume basically. And we don't think of it as being a powerful force, uh, in our life and in our health. Yeah, I, I totally hear you. Um, you know, I think I, it's personally, it's, I'm on that spectrum of like, okay, I started here at the the upbringing I told you. And then I went to college and started eating, you know, probably more standard American diet type food. And then I'm here, you know, and then I've learned and learned and learned, but I still have a ways to go. I, I don't garden. I can't, I just kill plants in my yard. <laughs> and so I have that next step to go to. And I think that 
you know, I'm still missing that food connection. I do go to the farmer's market and I belong to a CS, you know, we have belonged to a CSA here and there. So there's a little bit of that and it, we can't ask everyone too much. So it just depends where my, where my people are coming from. If you're a truck driver and you are in the car all day long sitting and all you can get is whatever, Dunkin' Donuts or Wendy's or whatnot, then I can't ask you to go, um, go to the farmer's market. Right. So, uh, but I can ask you to like maybe meditate for five minutes and think about, well, maybe meditation. You're not supposed to think about stuff. You're supposed to not think, I suppose, but you know, you get a little, you train your brain, you appreciate, you have gratitude. I love gratitude journaling. Um, and maybe that's the connection for some people where you may not actually go meet the farmer, um, and understand where the food is coming from, but maybe you actually do a gratitude journal every day and you write five things every day that you're grateful for. And it could be, um, the food that you are going to have today, whatever it is. So, yeah. Is this, is this what you just described something that you work with your patients with? Yeah, I do because stress is so, so back to my dad's case, you know, I know we can't quantify this just yet. Um, but in, maybe not in Ayurvedic philosophies, I'm not sure, but definitely in India, um, there's a whole um, component of things that that you can't measure, like these old Eastern uh, medical philosophies that existed before evidence-based medicine. And so there's some truth to it, right? Now turmeric is here to stay. Well, turmeric, I mean, I grew up on turmeric. And you know, I grew up on my mom telling me things that still to me don't make much sense, but I'm much more open-minded about it now. Like eventually there's going to be science that proves it, <laughs> you know, like yeah. the bitters that she drinks every morning out of a bitter melon to help her try to reduce her blood sugar, you know, and actually yeah. there is some science on bitter, bitter melon. It tastes terrible. You guys. <laughs> and I do. You know, what circle, I- I'm going to say one thing about food is medicine and that is, there, it, we can get a little crazy with food as medicine and, you know, get to negative food behaviors and negative food relationships. So I think in the, in our field, we have to be a little careful because we obsess about it so much, but we have to be careful not to drive forward eating disorders and things like that. And, mm. and mental health, you know, issues. Um, and so I, I tread that carefully, um, and it is a screening question on my questionnaire, like, you know, and I work, I, if that came across, I would work with those people in my community that can, you know, see that. Um, so it, it's something to think about. Well, the, the reason I ask is because you talked about scope of practice. And one of the things, one of the common complaints we've heard from the various uh, uh, healthcare providers that we've had on when they were operating inside the insurance system was how narrowly confined they were both in terms of, I guess, primarily in terms of time, but also in terms of what they were, what, what the the insurance company would allow them to talk about or prescribe or recommend. Not so much that it was outside their scope of practice as a, as a healthcare provider, but just, Oh no, if you tell them that we're not going to pay for it. And so so it's exciting to me to hear that that a a healthcare provider 
outside the system, such as yourself, can recommend to a patient, hey, maybe what you need to start with is a gratitude journal. Yeah. And and uh, anyway. Um, yeah. And so that. to answer your question about the stress management, we talk yeah. about that a lot. And I think it's a driver of chronic illness too. I just, we can't really quite correlate. And we have, you know, so many other things that contribute to chronic illness as well. So I think um, my dad blames his heart attack on stress. He, he fully does. He, he thinks it's not his triglycerides, but whatever, you know, it could have been everything. Um, so I'm really interested in this, this food as medicine and medicine uh, 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 with food as medicine. Um, what are the, the handful of the most medicinally powerful foods that most of your patients and most of your uh, cooking customers could incorporate into their daily lives. Yeah. So if you're already off of the standard American diet and you're not eating a lot of processed foods and you're, you know, yeah, we're going to assume that's who we're talking that, about. Right? People who've already taken that yeah. step. Yeah. So then I think, you know, and this is, this is where I'm at. This is what I do. What we do is really nutrient dense foods like um, avocado, good quality olive oil, nuts and seeds all the way, good quality eggs, lean, it doesn't have to be lean, meats. But for me, we use them in moderation. I just think I, I'm able to do that. Not everybody can. Um, and of course, sourced well, right? We want them sourced as sustainably as possible. Salmon is excellent. Um, and you can get good sustainable salmon sources. Um Let's see. Um, I just want to put a pin in. I want to put a pin in it here, real quick, because it's very interesting to me that what Phil has been saying for a, a solid year, as we've been doing this show, is eat whole, real foods. He's not coming at it from the food as medicine standpoint, like you are, and yet it's a, the exact same message. That's what it I is. just heard you say. It is eat whole, real. Foods. Real foods, yes. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but it's. No. I just realized you're you're from a completely different angle. You're saying the exact same thing. It really is, and yeah, in my classes, I and with my one-on-one patients, there is a little bit more like, okay, I really want you to have um, beets because they have a lot of you know trimethylglycine or whatever for your methylation cycle, or hey, I want you to have blah, blah, blah for magnesium because your magnesium is a cofactor needed for uh, the Krebs cycle or, you know, iron or whatnot, you know, so we're looking at it a little bit um, biochemically, if you will. I'm just looking at it from the the big picture, the overall, you know, yeah, you have a hundred people who walk into your office and you're going to say basically this stuff to all hundred of them. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would have them focus on really nutrient dense, real foods, like you guys talk about here. And, um, it was something else I was going to say. Well, I forgot what I was going to (laughs) say. I have the same problem. (laughs) So what, you know, one of the, um, I guess criticisms that often, you know, will come up, uh, when I start talking about eating whole real food and other, you know, uh, the people that I interact with bring this message is, you know, oh, it's so expensive. And, you know, most people can't afford to eat that way. Uh, So talk a little bit about what that looks like for your clientele 
and you know where how you think uh, this can be done uh, affordably for people. Yeah, for sure. So um, my clientele right now is different because they're already motivated. They're paying outside the system. They they're they're they understand. They've already got the message, right? But the clientele I had in all the years past in conventional medicine. Um, you know, it, 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 it's definitely something to something that really bothers people, and they and it, and it and it's can be very very difficult to change that mindset. I remember doing group visits. I did group medical visits um, for cancer patients for a little while. I love group medical visits. By the way, that should be a whole topic. But really, talk about community and impact. Um, that's like what a cooking class is too, right? Community and impact. And the I remember one older gentleman with a history of prostate cancer who was like, wait, you're telling me I need to buy organic milk instead of regular milk? I mean, that's $4 more, you know? And, and so it is. And so, but there are so many staples, dried, foods and staples that are really budgetable. We have an organization in Austin called the Sustainable Food Center. Fantastic group. They do um, low, they do cooking classes for low income and they give them the whole bag of food, paper bag of food uh, in these classes. And they teach how to sustainably use that bag of food for the whole, you know, for the whole week. And I mean, dollars wise, I can't remember. I did. I taught those classes more than 10 years ago, but I want to say it was like, um, $30, um, for the bag of food. And then they also did a class where they taught how to break down a chicken and have it last for the whole week. Right. I'm sure you've heard of those types of classes, but it's doable. Um, you have to get, it's the mindset. Like, do we need to be having the cigarettes that cost blah, blah, blah. And, do we need to be having that frappuccino? You know, cut that out, and you could get yourself a really nice piece of salmon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. and you know, and then of course the um, you know, what does that cheap food end up costing you in the long run uh, when you're going to the doctors all the time and you're on you know all of these medications, which are uh, certainly uh, not mm-hmm. inexpensive. Right. Yeah. I I wish we could change that mindset at younger ages and. I think, you know, that mindset needs to change at a younger age so that you're not stuck at 60 diagnosed with prostate cancer and then decide to change your ways. I think it'll, those kinds of diagnoses do flip a switch for people, but you know, a diagnosis of prediabetes doesn't sadly. Yeah. What's your favorite patient story? Hmm. Oh gosh. Um, I love reversing metabolic dysfunction. So if I show them their numbers and like, you know, resolving, uh, prediabetes, resolving, um, gut health, getting people not bloated, getting people pooping. Um, you asked me about one favorite one. Let's see if I can think of a favorite. I feel like I've had a lot of, uh, different, uh, areas. I can tell you one from right now. Um, yeah, I'll tell you this one. This is a, a woman who's a, um, environmental, um, chemist, I believe. And, uh, she is tired. 
she has ADHD. She goes to work. She's on site at, uh, and she comes home and she's like, I just can't focus. Um, I, I can't get off my ADHD medication because it saves me, but I need help with that. I need help with my digestion and I just need help with my energy. And I've had her now for three months and she is just sending people to me left and right because she's so happy with her outcome of just improved energy and improved concentration. And this is all by, we, 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 I do do some supplements and nutraceuticals, but my, my motto is more that that's just to tide you over in the short run, because ultimately you want to get that with food. So while you're learning how to cook and understanding what the right foods are for you, if you need a few nutraceuticals that are medical grade quality, we'll do that. But ultimately I don't want you to be taking a bunch of pills because I got away from that. Yeah. Um, so you did this just, she did this, y'all did this together yeah. just with, with changing her, what she ate yeah. or how she ate. I can't take credit. I, I, this is more work for my patients than me. Absolutely. It is so hard. Um, it's hard work and it's commitment and slow baby steps and it's doable. You know, you need to give it time. You, everyone's on a spectrum. I just told you mine. It could take several years before you, get to a healthier place, you know? 17 years ago, I was in severe metabolic crisis and I was fortunate enough to stumble into an integrative practitioner who was able to diagnose me and uh, put together a treatment plan. And I said, doc, how long is it going to be till I feel better? And I will never forget his words. He said, you didn't get into this overnight. You're not going to get out of it overnight. Yeah. And it was really helpful to have him say that because it set my expectations. Yeah, it was a great, that's a great statement. Yeah. 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 So. And one other fun, not fun, but uh, um, I, we can talk about this maybe at a future, if you ever want me back, we can talk about nutrigenomics, which is really cool up and coming. We're 54 minutes into it and you come up with a word like that, that I want to know everything about seriously nutrigenomics. Uh, yeah. So this sounds like nutrition and, and genetics Genomic. together. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so okay. I mean, it's all the same. Uh, okay. I got to commend you because now we got to have you back. <laughs> That's right. She left the hook. Well done. <laughs> Set the hook and leave us dangling there. Well, you know I'm not good at marketing since, you know, you figured out my motto is at work. So that happened to be an inadvertent one. <laughs> it was well done. And I I seriously want to learn more about that. We should definitely have you back. I love it. Um, honestly, I would – I'm about 80% convinced I'm going to sign up for your cooking class because I oh. love cooking. <laughs> but I'm also mostly a moron. Um <laughs> So, well, you said you're a foodie, right? So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all right. Well, so, Phil, I, I got to ask you one last thing before we go, though. Um, so, do you think it was destiny that your parents named you Shafali and you ended up being the chef? <laughs> that is so funny. Um, no, my mom, my mom, okay. You know how uh, Indian families have general. There's a generalization about Indian families having um, parents being tiger moms, etc. And uh, academics, academics, academics. And I, my parents were a bit of anomaly, and they really, my mom really wanted me to run a household, 
learn how to cook. I started making Indian food at age nine. And um, so I'm, I'm not sure if that, if the name was the destiny, cause you know, they didn't, my mom didn't speak English until she uh, immigrated here and then she took English classes. So she didn't know what chef meant probably. So no, probably not destiny. <laughs> oh, it I, is lucky. I, I disagree. I think there were larger forces at work. Perhaps. perhaps. Guiding your mom in, yeah. in that choice of name. Yeah. Shafali, it has, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm, I want to just ask you question after question after question after question, but we're not going to do that here. Um, if folks want to know more, what's the best way to connect with you? Yeah. So, um, I have a couple of websites because I have the old cooking instructor website. That's chefskitchen.com. So chefs and that's chef with an S S H E F chefskitchen.com. All right. And that'll point you to the medical practice and the courses and vice versa. So the medical practice, if you're in Texas, um, and you want to take charge of your metabolic and gut health, it's precisionmetabolichealth.com. I have lots of friends in Texas. Yeah. Point them to you. Yes. <laughs> All right. Very good. Well, I'll remind our listeners you'll find this information in the show notes. So if you'd uh, failed to remember it, just check the show notes and it'll be there. Um, Phil, any last words before we say goodbye to Shafali for the first time and then set her up for a discussion of nutrigenomics? <laughs> did I say that right? You did. Amazing. As we've been saying, season three is just going to be going back through season two and getting all these wonderful guests back on. But it was great, uh, great talking with you, Shafali, and I look forward to continuing to work with you. Uh, yeah, love being on and love talking to you guys and really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me. You brought something different and uh, it was really cool. I, good, I, good. I've loved it. All right. Well, for uh, Phil Ovedia, I'm Jack Heald, and uh, this has been Shafali Ravula. Ravala? Ravula, yes. Ravula. I was so close. Um, <laughs> Too many syllables. This is, stay- <laughs> this is the stay off my opera. Oh, we had uh, Nayuri Masissian last week. Ooh, okay. I've been practicing that one all, all, all week long. Um, this is the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe. We drop a new episode every Tuesday, and we'll talk to you next time. Chances are you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't need to change your life and get healthier. So take action right now. Book a call with Dr. Avadia's team. One small step in the right direction is all it takes to get started. Contact us at ifixhearts.com slash talk. That's ifixhearts.com slash talk.